Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with two of my best friends, Bruce McCurdy and Kurt Levins. Welcome, guys. Morning, gents. Hello, hello. How you doing? We still beat Calgary. I'm still doing good. <laughs> We're in the Kurt. final four. Life is good. Yeah, so good to see you, Kurt, from from uh, live from uh, your island hideout. You and Dr. No are out, out, out hanging out there in the Pacific. Uh, Somewhere yeah. in the Pacific, Kurt Levins. It is good to be seen. <laughs> All right, guys, we're, we have this great series coming up against the Colorado Avalanche. We're going to dig into it. This is a much-anticipated series between two absolute firehouse-attacking firehouse, uh, hockey teams. And we, I don't know the last time we've seen two such great offensive hockey teams playing each other with um, their best players in their peak. You know, maybe I'm just I'm so Oilers centric view that I don't. Maybe there's been lots of series like this. I don't remember any. Like this is just this is an amazing collection of hockey talent that that's been put together. So I'm really looking forward to this this series. What about you guys? Go ahead, can't Bruce. wait, can't wait. It's, uh, I mean, they're, they're both teams are stacked with high, high-end talent. Uh, you know, generational or uh, um, certainly franchise-level players, and more than one of them on each team, which uh, you don't see all that often. Uh, I'd argue that there's a, uh, there's definitely two franchise players on Edmonton, and at least two on uh, on Colorado. Yeah, I'm just as excited as you guys are. As I wrote in my column on Sunday. I think depending on how the series goes, it has a chance to rechart the course that the NHL takes, much like we saw after the 2016 World Cup. Um, so I'm really excited to see these two high-skill, high-talent teams go head-to-head. <coughs> Kale McCarr is the player on that team that blows my oh. mind, honestly. Like, yeah. he's, he's a talent. He's not Connor McDavid. But, man... He's close. He is amazing. He is an amazing hockey player. And he's original. Like, when I try to think of comparisons to Kale McCarr, I come up really short. I mean, there's other been smaller offensive defensemen. Like, we, you know, we've seen them, like, Phil Housley back in the day and Brian Leach, you know, smaller guys with incredible ability. There's been no one like Kale McCarr that I've ever seen. So he's, he's, a, he's the first of his kind. Paul Coffey, maybe? But, you know, he's a guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, uh, I mean, when Colorado attacks the blue line with him on the ice, it seems like they're four wide. Like he's, I mean, he's even a zone entry machine, which you don't often see from a defenseman. But holy moly, he just activates and he's such a great skater that that he can recover. But uh, his, uh, you know, his, He's a major offensive weapon, first and foremost. He's from Alberta. Go ahead, Kurt. And you know what? I think the people that are just selling this as the McDavid versus McKinnon series, which that pairing itself is true, but that take is just not accurate. There's so many talented players on both sides. It's really selling both clubs short, I think, if if you try to make that pitch. 
Okay, we're going to do a little thing where we're going to go through our major takeaway, one major takeaway each from the Calgary series, and then we'll move on and we'll deal with our um, just looking forward to the to the Avs series. And one reason for optimism for the Oilers and one reason for pessimism. Kurt, we'll start with you. What's your major takeaway from the Flames uh, Oilers series? That the Edmonton Oilers top six were better than the Calgary Flames top six. And I thought uh, head coach Jay Woodcroft and his crew recognized that and executed their game plan almost to a T. And when you look at the numbers and then when you analyze the series by the eye test, I think uh, Edmonton's top six clearly came out on top. And at the end of the day, if your best players are better than their best players, nine and a half times out of ten, you're going to win. Yeah. It's amazing that Lindholm, Kachuk, Gaudreau line was the best plus-minus line in the NHL, but they were not close to dominant in this series. They just weren't. And, you know, there was moments where game one, especially, they all looked good. But other than that, they were scary now and then, but not consistently scary, not consistently putting the owners back on their heels. It It was astonishing to me. Well, I thought the guy that really pulled a disappearing act was Matthew Kachuk. And after game one, there was almost a hard match between him and Evander Kane. Uh, And I think for for all of the positives that Evander Kane brings to the attack and to the grip that he brings, he's a pretty smart defensive player as well. And I thought he was able to neutralize Kachuk over games two through five. He got in his head, Kurt. That's how I like to look at it, because he he was... Kane's is, you know, Kane's is a tough, scary guy. Like he's, he's a lot. Kachuk is a tough and scary guy. I thought Matt Kachuk was going to be in the Oilers' heads all series long and driving us crazy. Never happened. I thought he was going to make us mad. Like I thought we were going to be, well, I don't have hair, but I was, you know, drilling holes in my head. I was so angry about what Matt, Matt Kachuk was going to do on this. And it never happened. It's, 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 again, it's astonishing. A friend of mine said, I feel bad for the flames for the flames. I think they would have done a lot better if Matt Kachuk had a play. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, Ouch. Brady Brady Kachuk got into my head more than Matt did in uh, <laughs> games in Calgary. Yeah, we saw the Kachuk family less and less and less with every game. Maybe they stopped going. <coughs> but they, we sure didn't see them very much by the end. They were just sitting there glum, I guess. Uh, Battleville sure didn't end with the series, did it? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to gloat too much because I have a lot of respect for Matt Kachuk as a player. Like, I, I think he is a pesky and effective hockey player. He's a good hockey player. But, man, that was not his series. And, and Lindholm, too. Like, yeah. what a classy player, skilled player. But he just couldn't get it going on. Gaudreau, you know, I remember Johnny Gaudreau carrying the puck and making plays. But the other two guys, not so much. And, you know, I think the Flames defense um, it was also the slowness of the Flames defense was exposed and their lack of puck moving ability. They're a big, tough team, but they have some players who struggle to move the puck. And and um, I think it caught up with them a bit, although I was pretty impressed with Zadorov consistently through the series. My major takeaway is, I'm going to build on your point, Kurt, um, about the top six, <coughs> single on one player, single out. And that is Connor McDavid, even though the last two games of the series were not, he wasn't as emphatic in his play. Um, heading into the series, I made my bold prediction against the the most people were predicting, uh, most of the NHL experts were predicting the Flames would win. But I just thought Connor McDavid will not be denied. Connor McDavid will not be denied, and and um, he wasn't. He's he went supernova. I think those two losses to the LA Kings 
were a major wake-up call to both him and to some extent to Drysaddle. But I really saw in McDavid, I saw a difference in the way he looked, his on-ice demeanor, the way he carried himself and the way he played after those two losses to LA in games four and five. And um, he was he was a man possessed. He had the he had the total Messier look in his eye, Mark Messier energy, focus from then on, and it was it 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 transformed his play. And seeing that in game six and seven, I just thought, okay, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the star going supernova, and he won't be denied, and he wasn't. So um, just a remarkable level of play from him. And it was it was utterly thrilling. It electrified Oilers fans. It's electrified the hockey world. And I can't wait to see more of it. It was a pretty electrifying series in that there was five five game series and there was a distinct NHL record, all time NHL record set in four of the five games. I mean, there <laughs> there was a lot going on. And the uh uh Takeaway for me, well, I'm I'm with uh, Kurt on the matchups, and you know Calgary put in that power line that was, as you mentioned, David, one, two, three in the league in plus minus. Well, Goudreau was minus three, Kachuk minus four, Lindholm minus four, because guess what? Edmonton put basically th- their three best forwards up against them head to head when Woodcroft stocked Evander Kane, and of course having already put Leon Drysaddle with. McDavid as Dreisaitl supposedly struggles through a uh, an injury, well he struggled to the point of 17 points in five games, <laughs> and uh, they uh, uh, Calgary just couldn't match the very highest end talent that Edmonton could put out there, and the other takeaway for me is that the orders got to Jacob Markstrom in the Calgary net, and they. Uh, uh, Markstrom's the guy who chose Calgary over Edmonton there a couple summers ago, and I'm wondering if he's uh, living to uh, regret that decision, having been lit up by the Oilers now for two years running, but especially this year, nine games he played against Edmonton, and the Oilers got at least four goals in eight of those nine games. And they, uh, you know, they really torched him in the uh, uh, in the series, uh, 8.52 save percentage. And you know what? He was outplayed in the previous series by by the Dallas goaltender as well. Well, they were both good, but Ottinger was out of his mind. Yeah. And my fear was Markson would still be good and, and that they'd have better. And, you know, I mean, if you told me before the series, Mike Smith would be 907, I think it was. I'd be going, uh-oh. But in fact, he was far better than mm-hmm. Jacob Markson. I heard one theory that I thought, I can't remember where I heard this, but, you know, why was why is Markstrom struggling against the Oilers? Why in this series? And one one idea was just the speed of the Oilers' attack, just the the quickness of the execution. So you have players like McDavid and Drysaddle and Kane with his lightning quick hands in tight. And maybe there's something to that, that he's the, just elite scorers, the very mo- the highest elite scorers in the NHL. They're that way for a reason. They're doing things at a faster speed under more control than other NHL players. And you get a great big goalie like that. Um, maybe he has a bit harder time adjusting. I don't know. Like he, he, they sure were exploiting him just over the pad and under the glove hand oh, consistently. You know, there's the fatigue factor. That was another thing speculated with Markstrom. So I, I don't know. But I like that speed idea seemed to make some sense to me just having watched the Oilers because they're, they're freaking fast. As for Dreisaitl, did you guys 
after the first game, like I had, a, I admit I was in panic mode. I, I had a day of catastrophizing because I thought Drysaddle's not getting better. Like I, I just was hoping he would like physically getting better. He did put up, I think, three points that first game, but he did, he looked slow, and he didn't look like he could get the job done defensively. And he had a rough game defensively. And I just thought, oh, Nurse is already at whatever you know, sixty percent, seventy percent. If Drysaddle's at thirty, forty percent, they're not going to beat the Flames. But he and, and I just want to see if what I saw. So if he started out, let's say, I'm going to say 30%. I'm going to say by the end, he was at 90% of his former self. So do those numbers sound fair to you guys? Or do you see the same thing or not? Yeah, you know, I think it was fair to have concern when you saw him in the first game. And I, and I think it's also fair to say probably nobody, including Leon, knew how that injury would go, right? No. Um, but the eye test, at least from this observer, is that he got healthier every game and better every game. Yeah. Uh, and probably has as much to do with with the with the training crew and rehab regimen as anything else. Um, so yeah, I, I I more or less I think saw the same thing as you did, David Bruce. Yeah, yeah. He I don't know about thirty percent, but I do know after game one I wrote a post saying five things after the nine six loss in game one. <laughs> I wrote a post saying five things Oilers need to fix and two they probably can't. And I think they did fix the five things, and the two that I thought they couldn't was the health of Nurse and Dreisaitl. And Nurse, I think, was, you know, he's still got a, a ways to go, but Dreisaitl kept getting better. But his adjustment to not only being back on the wing, but back on right wing, which he hasn't played for maybe two years. He's mostly been, when he's moved to wing, he's been on the left just because of the way orders line up and I th- I think he's particularly effective on the right side with his uh, yeah. brilliant backhand passing skills which we saw time and again in that series and just that he likes to shoot from that right circle and and uh, you know there's there, he's just got more options and just that much harder for the other team to deal with so uh, that was a, that was a big part of it that's really smart. I I long thought that Dry Settle makes a better right winger than a left winger, and yeah. a lot of it has to do with his ability off the backhand. Not only is can he pass as well on the backhand as most players on their forehand, but as a defender, I think it's difficult to read and anticipate that, mm-hmm. which I think doubles up on on the danger when he's over on the right hand side. So I, I, that's really smart, Bruce. I, I think you've nailed that point. Since Bruce worked an extra takeaway, and just really quick, <laughs> uh, just really quick. Um, I didn't think the Flames had a number one D-man. You know, like... They missed Tanev. Like, they, they missed Tanev and they missed Giordano. Like, those kind of big, big name, but just not big name, big play players, man, that can shut down the other team. And there just wasn't a Flames de- defenseman out there. Rasmus Anderson came closest to it, who 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 I was worried about on the ice. They just seemed to have a fairly nondescript bunch back there who really couldn't... who Who weren't causing the Oilers headaches. Who weren't causing me as a fan headaches. I just... I was glad. Well, you know, I, I kept hearing the Tanev thing. And, like, look, all respect to Chris Tanev for coming back and playing with the injury that, that he had. I don't mean to take away from that. But if you're waiting on Chris Tanev to ride in on a white horse and save your team, you've got bigger problems. If he's your best defenseman, you're not going to beat McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, you might be right. He, If he had been healthy, we'd, you know, we'd know for sure. Like, he could cause headaches because if, he, if he's a good shutdown demon. Like, Vlasic, remember... He, you know, yeah. shut down D-men like Morrissey against McDavid. You know, yeah. shut down yeah. D-men can cause Connor McDavid trouble. But I don't think, I think Connor McDavid wasn't going to be shut down by a Josh Morrissey this year or a Neil Pionk or whoever was doing it on the Jets last year. Yeah. It just yeah. wasn't going to happen. 
Yeah, and it's and it's safe and it's fair to say that Tana was hurt. Well, so was Nurse. Yeah. So it's I I, yeah. I I I just don't buy the it's it's the Chris Tana thing. And and your point about them not having a number one demon, they don't. I think that's a hole in their team. Yeah. Well, they might not have a number one forward soon, depending on what they. Yeah. All right, that's their worry, not mine. Uh, let's move on to the the Oilers Avs, and we'll, um, we're going to start with the because we'll, let's end on a high note on the optimistic stuff. Let's start with the, what, what is your cause for pessimism heading into this series? And uh, we'll, we'll uh, Kurt, we'll go with you again. Um, it remains to be seen whether the Oilers defense has the wheels, the speed to deal with uh, the avalanche attackers. Uh, I think the Oilers defense has played uh, above their heads for two series. Um, even with Darnell Nurse playing at, what is he, 50, 60%. Um, but I think the Colorado Avalanche are a whole new jar of pickles. Uh, and we'll, we'll see uh, how, they, how they handle uh, those, those abs when they come smoking down the, smoking down the ice. I think that's, that's the biggest question in my head. Bruce, what's yours? My concern is, I mean, Edmonton gave Colorado three good games during the season, and in fact, they beat them pretty soundly in the the last matchup uh, where the Oilers clinched the playoff berth and uh, whooped them 6-3. But I'm not sure that we ever saw Colorado at uh, full strength, and they're they're not quite there. They've lost Samuel Girard, uh, uh, a good puck-moving defenseman uh, for the playoffs. Uh, But when I think of that game on uh, April 22nd, they were missing uh, Mikko Rantanen, they were missing Gabriel Landeskog, they were miss- missing Devon Taves. Those are three gigantic puzzle pieces for Avalanche. And I think they they have a depth of very top players. Uh, you know, not the top two. I mean, Edmonton can match anybody's top two. But when you get down five and six deep, uh, uh, Colorado's got uh, some really strong players, and it's uh, uh, when they're unleashed right across with the great mobile defense that they've got, and you know the the, the level of star power that they have to fill their top six. That's a huge challenge for the Oilers, and uh, it makes me nervous. Yeah. So my concern, my my top concern is actually the same as Kurtz's. Is whether the and it was the same for the Flame series actually. Can the Oilers' defense patch it together against a really good attacking team? And this is an even better attacking team. So Kulak, CC, Barry, and I would include Bouchard have been playing out of their minds. They've been playing some of their best hockey of the season, just mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Very tough games. Keith um, Nurse's Nurse has been okay. He's he's not been physical. And he's clearly hurt, and he can get beat to the outside on rushes. We saw it a few times. Duncan Keith's been playing a lot of tough minutes and hanging in there. Like they're asking a lot of him, and he's he doing led, okay. Led them I don't last game, right? Yeah, I don't think he's excelling. I think he's doing okay, but he's doing it against tough competition. So that's you know, if anyone who's judging Duncan Keith harshly right now, and there's still people out there who are. Oh yeah. I'm gonna suggest. Look at quality of competition, and I don't know what Puck IQ has to say about that, but from my reading of it, man, he's out there against the tough guys consistently. Yep. He's asked to do hard things, and he's generally okay. And that's great. In the playoffs, I'll take that. So that's my read on Duncan Keith. But so, but to, to, to turn to something a little different, listen, 
I, I guess I have some PTSD, some post-traumatic Smith disorder. <laughs> uh, we all season long, all season long, we had major questions about Mike Smith because he was hurt and he didn't play well. You know, I don't really. I'm starting to. I'm starting to believe. And who doesn't love this player? I mean, he's these. You know, lots of people. Yeah, lots of yeah. Who he's he's such a compelling character. You know, he looks like uh, Daryl from The Walking Dead. He kind of plays like Daryl from The Walking Dead. And um, he's chaos on the ice. He's 95% superhero for the Oilers and 5% secret agent for the other team. Even in the last game, he made a turnover that could have easily ended up in the net, you know. And, uh, <laughs> it's happening with regularity in the playoffs. <coughs> but, so I'm starting to believe in Mike Smith because of the way he's played. It's been six weeks um maybe seven weeks two months like that it's been two months excuse me it's been april all of april and may two full months it's all based on good health so the concern about mike smith is can he stay healthy like he's he's a 40 year old goaltender they're crashing the net they're going after them they got you know the you know if we're looking for an arch villain it's going to be nazim kadri like he's a tough evil hockey player so um things can happen in hockey and so it could happen to Mike Smith. I think if he's healthy, he's going to keep playing like he's been playing, which is pretty darn good. Uh, but I'm still worried about the injury thing because I was worried all year about it and I bit the orders in the butt most of the year. And finally, he got it together. Somehow, he he got the right amount of um, duct tape on his body in the final two months of, of the season. They wrapped him just right and, and the duct tape's holding. So let's see if it does for another couple series you know i 100 percent agree with your concern about his injury that was my concern all along i still thought mike smith could play in the nhl i just wasn't sure if he was healthy enough to if he's healthy enough to here's a thought about mike smith i don't think there's anybody in the world who believes more in mike smith than mike smith right uh he's an incredible battler and if you don't think that the Jacob Markstrom factor was a huge part of Mike Smith's game against Calgary. You're kidding yourself. And looking forward to the Calgary series, remember the other goaltender that Ken Holland chased? Yep. Darcy Kemp. If you don't think that Mike Smith wants to shove it up everybody's butt, mm -hmm. that he was the guy who was left waiting to see if the phone rang. Right. Um, I, I think that's a factor. How big of a factor in the end, I guess we'll see. But um, Mike Smith knows where to go for motivation. I think that's his motivation over the next seven games. Kurt, could you just explain for people who haven't heard what happened with Smith and Markstrom, what, what's the story there? The fact that uh, Ken Holland tried very hard. In fact, uh, word is the last two teams in the bidding for Jacob Markstrom uh, were uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Yeah. And uh, Ken Holland had not offered Mike Smith the contract. Mike Smith was sitting home in his house in Kelowna yeah. looking over you know, Lake Okanagan, waiting for the phone to ring. And the phone didn't ring until Markstrom said, sorry, uh, yeah. I'm going to the prom with this guy over here. Uh, and at that point, Ken Holland phoned Mike and said, hey, Mike, would you like to come back? Uh, and so... I mean, think back in your lives. <laughs> if you've ever had someone else chosen over you, uh, isn't it deep mm -hmm. within you uh, a fire burning that says, I want to prove them wrong? Right? And right. I think that was a huge incentive for him. 
He probably wants to shove it up Ken Holland's butt too, right? Because Holland was I, looking I, around, yeah. right? And, the whole uh, world. It was yeah. It was like late in the first day that Markstrom chose Calgary, and then early on the second day, Edmonton came back with uh, Mike Barry. Uh, sorry, Mike Smith and Tyson Barry both signed for the money they probably would have spent on uh, on Markstrom. And then this past summer, the same thing. There was hot rumors. Oilers were pursuing Darcy Kemper, and of course that didn't come to pass. And again, they went back to sort of their their whole card of Mike Smith, and he's still burning. He reminds me a lot of Dwayne Rolston, you know, old, very combative goalie. Not everybody's cup of tea, uh, but uh, leaves it all out there. And of course, in Rolston, we we did see that injury concern and it wasn't like he was particularly injury prone but the wrong play happened at the wrong time in uh uh in the 2006 finals that uh ended the dream before for him at least before it could reach the finish line so that's always a concern in the end for me uh, the one thing i'm not concerned about with mike smith is i know he won't hold anything back he'll he'll put everything on the line to win a hockey he kind of reminds me of Kai Drogo, I think, Mike Smith from uh, Game of Thrones. He's the stallion who mounts the world. All right. <laughs> um, let's move on to the Oilers. What makes us optimistic? Kurt, what makes you optimistic? Uh, Bruce already alluded to it. Uh, having <clears throat> watched the three games that these two teams played against one another this year, Two of the three, and I've talked to many people uh, in various walks of life, and the consensus has come back. Those are maybe two of the three best hockey games I've watched all year anywhere. Um, And I just think that these two teams match up so well in terms of the high skill in their lineup. Um, I'm not so convinced it's going to be a low-scoring series. I might be wrong. Um, But I think when you get this many horses running, uh, and I don't think that either goaltender is Carey Price, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some 4-3s and some 5-4s. But I do think that I'm thrilled that we're going to see this display of high skill. And at the end of the day, while Colorado has a terrific team and arguably – a deeper team, um, I still think Edmonton will have the best two players on the ice. I guess we'll see after four to seven games whether that's true or not. Um, but I ultimately think that's that's the edge. So I've already seen this team. I've already seen the Oilers play them competitively and beat them. And that's one of the things that gives me confidence going forward. Bruce? Uh, i got to go back to that uh two-headed offensive monster that Oilers are running in uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl that are, uh, I mean, Colorado comes closer than most teams to being able to uh, to match up with them with McKinnon and Rantanen, or if you prefer McKinnon and McCarr. But McDavid and Dreisaitl are on another level from the league. I mean, they've both been in top, uh, top five in league scoring for four years running, McDavid longer than that. When you look at playoff scoring after two series or a Game seven still to come in one. You got McDavid 26, Drysaddle 26, and then you drop all the way to 16. They're 10 points ahead of everybody else in the league after just two rounds of the playoffs. So, that, you know, they've just reached another level. And if they can maintain 
that level, uh, Colorado's got a lot of work to do. Two-headed monsters. I like that, Bruce. Made me brought to mind the remember the monsters of the midway, mm-hmm. the old term for the Chicago Bears defense. <laughs> yes. Um, my cause for optimism is the same one, in a way, with against Calgary. It's McDavid won't be denied, but it's more than that, <clears throat> because what he's got going on has spread to the other players, and I see these as the irrepressible Oilers. This Edmonton Oilers team. They got something going for them. They dominated, I think, in the end. They crushed the Calgary Flames. You know, five-game series. Who who predicted that? Some people thought the Flames would lose to the Oilers. Few people. Mostly in Edmonton. Mostly fans like me. But who predicted five games? The Oilers did it. And they did it in pretty outstanding, superlative fashion. So, you know, and what you see, what I see is this. When they when they get down by two goals, the irrepressible Oilers, they keep going. They know from the regular season when this happened all the time, they can come back. They, they can come back. When, when your goalie lets in a 142-foot shot, like an incredible stab to the heart, blow to the head, you know, knockout punch, a knockout punch you take in a game, in a big game, and you come back from that, you know, you find a way to, to gut out a goal like they scored there, like a hard-working, <coughs> high-skill goal. This is a team that's marked by resilience and by its irrepressibility, and it's led by McDavid, who will not be denied. Um, I see it as a team of destiny. I see the Oilers winning the Stanley Cup this year because of these factors. There's There's great teams ahead of them to beat, but this is a player in McDavid who will not be beat, who will not be denied. And he, like we've seen this in other years. Like it's mainly in basketball that, that comes to mind, honestly. But it's also in hockey where players like Messier and Gretzky reach this point. But um, you know, in basketball with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and players like that, Magic Johnson, we've seen these players that are just like, there's no way they're losing. It's not happening this time. And I get that with Connor McDavid now. Hockey isn't basketball. Connor McDavid doesn't play 90% of the game like a basketball star does. So there's that. But then he's got Leon Dreisaitl and Kane and Nugent Hopkins and Duncan Keith and Mike Smith and a whole roster of players, Zach Hyman, um, right on down the roster now who are coming together and right to the bottom, Derek Ryan, um, Ryan McLeod, guys like that, Brett Kulak. These guys are all stepping up right now. So I just think this is a team that's got it's going on. It's got it going on. And they know when they take a blow, they know how to, to weather that blow and keep on going. So I'm uh, buoyant and full of optimism about the Edmonton Oilers right now. One player I'm looking forward to seeing in this series is Tyson Berry. Yeah. What a guy wants to stick it up someone else's butt. Right? <laughs> I mean, he got yeah. traded out of Colorado. I mean, he lost, essentially lost his job to Kale McCarr. And, you, you know, you got to defend that decision by Joe Sackick 10 times out of 10. He was able to move out Barry and his contract and solve another problem in bringing back Nazem Kadri, a deal that really worked for uh, for Colorado. But from Barry's personal standpoint, you just know he wants to stick it to those guys. And uh, I'm looking for him to have a good series, and I'm hoping he has a great one. I have, I have two dark horses myself. One is Ryan McLeod, whose game has just 
grown and grown and grown. And his speed matches up so well with this Colorado roster. I'm excited to see him play them. The other dark horse I have is Dylan Holloway. Um, mm. Because this is going to be a fast series. I don't think the Oilers can match three lines against four and beat Colorado. I think they'll need all four lines. And I wonder at some point if the speed of Holloway will need to draw in to make that four line on four line match. Alrighty. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it there, gents. I just wanted to end with one little sour note. There is an unconfirmed report out of Vancouver from Patrick Johnson, who reports on the NHL for the Vancouver Sun and province. And again, this is an unconfirmed report about some kind of COVID related issue on the Oilers. So we don't know what it is and it could turn like, it's, we'll just leave it there. It's it, I, I'm not until I hear multiple reports of this, or the Oilers confirm it, I'm not going to worry about it. I just think, you know, there's a lot of uh, focus on the Oilers, a lot of rumors, a lot of things can start getting circulated. And this is just an un, unconfirmed rumor. It's on the internet. Tw- it's on Twitter night right now. People are talking about it. But my mm-hmm. advice to anyone hearing this rumor is don't put any weight into it until you hear it confirmed. Don't start freaking out and losing your mind. Just it's, yeah, it's out there. We've reported on it because it's out there. But this is what I'm telling people in our report. Take it easy. Let's wait and see what the information is and go from there. I can tell you in British Columbia, there are a lot of sour grapes from fans who are pissed off that their Canucks aren't in the playoffs and that the Oilers are in the final four. So they'll grab on to any little thing that they think they can they can do to pull the Oilers back down to the Canucks level. So I'll just put that out there. <laughs> I make the point that the Oilers do have a COVID-related uh, travel issue, uh, but it's one that we already know about, that... Uh, uh, when they cross into the United States, they've taken to taken a plane to the border, passing the border on a bus, and then taking a plane from the American side to the destination. They did that in the L.A. series. They did it to get to Colorado. Well, you don't normally go to Colorado by flying to Vancouver, then taking the bus to Bellingham, Washington, and then flying on to uh, Denver. It's a very circuitous route. Maybe the Vancouver reporter caught, well, what the hell are they doing? You know, maybe he's just uh, That's reporting right. on something less than, you know, there's no specific problem with any of the players or anything else. It is just a travel issue, and it is an issue. Yeah, and after all, the Leafs and the Flames did the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they do it, I think, to avoid mandatory COVID testing, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yeah, correct? It, yeah, it's it's at the land border, so they're on a bus, so there's no mandatory testing. So, so yeah, unless if someone's got asymptomatic, like, I'm just speculating here. If someone on the team has asymptomatic COVID, showing no signs of being sick, perfectly they're not looking to find that guy out by having an extra COVID test that they don't have to take. They're not looking to, to beat every bush. Now at this point of COVID where they, all the players have had it pretty much. They're all vaccinated except for Josh Archibald, who's got a medical exemption across the border. So they're not looking, there's just not the same level of fear about the disease uh, and they don't want to cause trouble if they don't, if someone's not really sick, um, I think they're looking not to, to skirt it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's right or wrong. Someone could maybe, maybe that's the wrong idea, but that's how I read it anyway. So, all right, let's leave it there, guys. Thanks very much for talking today. Great to talk to you, Kurt. Great to talk to you, Bruce. See you guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care, everybody. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.